There once was a show called The Outcast, which was worse than your average podcast. The host oft would offend with his imaginary friend and make his few listeners switch it off fast. Hello there. Once again, this is Rish Outfield, and you're listening to the Rish Outcast. And after doing so many episodes that are long, I'm going to present to you a short episode this week, this month. This time, I, I just need to catch up. When I put out like two 90-minute episodes back-to-back, that's it for the month, basically. But this might enable us to catch up. So today I'm going to be sharing with you a short story of mine called White House Tour. This was another one of those stories that I wrote for the horror addicts, Masters of the Macabre contest, where they would uh, have an, an overarching theme, and then every writer would be assigned a specific subject, and then keywords that had to fit into the story. It is, as far as I can remember, uh, a story that I wrote in 2013, and I don't think I've shared it in any other way. So, enjoy? White House Tour by Rish Outfield. In the summer of 2013, I was 10 years old. My mom had remarried, and my new stepdad, Corin, had decided to take us to Washington, D.C., to see the nation's capital. Corin loved history, and the founding fathers, and war and stuff, so we went to see the Reflecting Pool, and the Lincoln Memorial, and Washington Monument, and something not at all scary called the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. And on our last day, we were going on a tour of the White House. Best for last, they kept telling me. I wasn't bored, exactly. And Mom had lectured me before we left about not being selfish, and to look at this as a new beginning. And I did try my best to like Corin. After all, he made my mom so happy and the smile on her face when he held her hand or put his arm around her or, yuck, even kissed her, was a smile I didn't used to ever see in those days. We had to wait almost two hours for our turn to join the tour. There had been a whole bus full of kids in identical uniforms that got there right before we did, and I kept busy with my iPod, which was a music machine with headphones, the kind with a cord on them. Remember those? until the battery died, and then I had to sit quietly, which isn't so easy as a grown man, and certainly wasn't as a little boy. My feet hurt from all our walking, and Corin's response was that a man doesn't complain about sore feet. I responded that ten years old was only a man in Mexico, but he didn't think I was very funny. When our tour began, Mom mouthed, be excited to me, and I tried my best to do that, too. I know I wasn't a brilliant kid, but I had been convinced that we'd get to meet the president. It was Obama around that time. 
and was really disappointed to find out that wasn't part of our tour. There were places tour groups weren't allowed to go, which seemed unfair in 2013, back before they banned tours altogether. The White House was a big, low-ceilinged building, much more like a museum than a house. There were lots of paintings and desks and cabinets and things under glass, and while the tour guide, a nice, stocky black lady in her 30s, was exuberant, I couldn't get excited about it at all, or even pretend to be. There were a couple of children in our group, but they were drugged or something, because they stayed quiet and looked around with wide eyes like we were at a zoo or toy store. I thought about sneaking off, going exploring in the huge place, trying doors and seeing if I could find the room where the missiles were or something, but everything was roped off, and there were actually security guards with pistols who were probably just waiting for something to do, to put their firearms and karate chop training to good use. I was staring at a motion detector in the upper corner, watching the red light blink when I moved, when I realized I was being left behind. Come on, a voice said, and I was relieved to see another kid my age waving me over. Jonathan, Mom said at about the same time, and I hauled butt to catch up with her. Don't lag behind, okay, buddy? Corin said, and I did what I could not to scowl at him. Maybe in his mind, we really were buddies. I don't know. Hey, the boy on the tour with us said, and I said hey back. Have you ever been to the White House before? No. You? I've been on more tours than you could imagine. But I live here, so what else am I going to do? This is our first trip to Washington, I said. My mom says there's a lot of crime here. Yes, but there's crime everywhere you look. I'm Willie. Jonathan. How do you not get bored here? I asked, and I saw Corin stiffen in front of me. I lowered my voice. I do sometimes, admitted the boy. But Mardell is a good tour guide. I looked to the head of the group, to our guide, who was talking about Canadians trying to burn the building down. I tried to pay closer attention, figure out if that attempt had been recently or a long time ago, like the 70s. If you're lucky, Willie whispered, she may talk about the ghosts. What ghosts? I wondered, at full volume. Whoops. Excuse me? The guide asked, looking right at me. Now everyone else did the same. Are there really ghosts? I asked. I saw the embarrassment in Mom's eyes, but not in Corin's, curiously. But the tour guide smiled. I do get asked that a great deal, and it's not an easy question to answer. She addressed everyone now, and I liked the way her voice projected. She wasn't shouting, really, but we could all hear her clearly. I personally have never seen a ghost here, but many visitors, and some members of the staff, do believe the White House to be haunted. In the three years I've worked here, I've been on four, maybe five tours when someone has claimed they saw one. So look carefully, and maybe you will, too. She started walking again and we followed close behind. See? Willie said, 
and his grin was infectious. Ghosts were cool, and way more interesting than Canadians. "'Whose ghost do they see?' asked a man with a cool accent. The tour guide stopped walking and turned around. "'Usually it's Abraham Lincoln, our sixteenth president. He's been spotted here, in the halls, at the window on the east side, and in the Lincoln bedroom, which was a meeting room in his day.' An old woman on the left looked around, as though she was afraid she'd see him too. My mom glanced back at me and raised her eyebrows. I did it back. The guide continued. The man who was head tour guide when I first started claimed he had seen Lincoln twice and heard him several times more, but I was never sure whether he was exaggerating or just telling a good story. And is he wearing the hat and beard and everything? I asked. Corin didn't seem pleased by this, but I was actually getting into the tour, so he shouldn't have had any reason to complain. The hat, sometimes, but the beard, definitely, the guide said, and people chuckled. And how close was the ghost to Daniel Day-Lewis's performance? My stepdad asked, and most all of the adults laughed at that. There had been a movie about him around that time. The guide resumed the tour, now talking about other things. I wanted to ask more about the ghosts, but got the feeling it would be rude, even though it was relevant to what we were doing, and the tourist with the accent would have appreciated it. We passed a big brown chair that looked almost like a throne, and somebody I couldn't see asked how much of the furniture and stuff was the same today as it was back then. None of it, said Willie beside me. He was starting to look bored, too. Hardly any of the original furnishings are still here, though much has been reproduced to look like it did, said our guide. Even most of the walls and ceiling are new. In fact, today is the first day tours are going into the autumn alcove since they renovated that room. There was a water leak at the base of one wall, and it was all replaced, but it looks identical to how it did before. Interestingly, they found some coins— several papers, a rusted fork, and an unopened letter from 1842 in that wall. What was in the letter? I asked, but didn't dare to raise my voice. Willie said, It was nothing. A dull request for more militia in Rhode Island. Something about the Door Rebellion. Did I mention it was dull? The tour continued, so I whispered to the boy, Have you ever seen ghosts? Willie shrugged. Well, my mother? She heard the voice of Andrew Jackson's ghost here one time. Who's Andrew Jackson? I asked. Not because I was stupid. I knew he was somebody famous, but I couldn't remember for what. Andrew Jackson? The tour guide said, not at all irritated by my question. She was cool. He was the seventh president of the United States. Old Hickory, my new stepdad exclaimed, which didn't mean anything to anybody. Is he a ghost too? I asked, more to the lady than to Corin. The tour guide chuckled at that. I was starting to think she was kind of hot for an old lady. Yes, he is, reportedly, one of the ghosts who haunts the White House, as well as Presidents Cleveland, 
Harrison, Tyler, and Thomas Jefferson. See, Willie said beside me, she's the best guide. One of them, Rodrigo, won't even mention the ghosts, even if you ask. They should have a tour that's just about the ghosts, I said. Shh, my stepdad said. His goofy smile was gone. Of course, nobody shushed Willie. I tried not to say anything for the rest of the tour. Another lady was asking if we'd be visiting the Oval Office, so I wasn't the only one who thought we'd be meeting Obama, but the guide didn't make her feel stupid in the least. Being a tour guide didn't seem like the worst possible job in the world to have. Do you want to go exploring? Willie asked, as we were going around a corner. I did, most definitely, but I didn't dare. I thought I'd been on my best behavior, but I got the impression Corin didn't agree. I wondered who Mom would side with when we went outside, and I dreaded learning the answer. A few minutes later, we reached the end of the tour. Mardell asked if anyone had any questions, and a lady asked about the letter. Which letter is that? The one you found in the wall. Oh, I didn't find it. Some workmen did said the guide. I never even saw it. But what was in it? Like I said, it was unopened. No one knows what it was about yet. Somebody at the Smithsonian is going to take a look, but apparently that's a lengthy process. What about the coins? asked Willie. Who gets those? The woman didn't answer. She asked if there were any more questions. It occurred to me again that nobody shushed Willie, and that I didn't see his parents around. "'Are you here by yourself?' I asked. He shrugged. "'So do they do reenactments here?' I asked him. "'What?' Willie asked. The tour guide glanced my way, but a man with a—what-do-you-call-it— a turban asked her something, and she turned her attention to him. I looked at my new friend. Why are you dressed that way? I wondered. He was in old-fashioned clothes, though I had only noticed it when I saw his shoes. Oh, this. My mother chose this outfit for me. She works here, too? Once again, my new stepdad shushed me. We had reached the end of the tour, so he shouldn't have cared if I was loud. But as was typical, he still did. Willie leaned close to me and whispered, Come on another tour. They can be real fun. I nodded, but I doubted we would ever come back. Little Rock was an awfully long way from Washington. Ask another ghost question, he prompted. I tried to think of one. Any other questions? Mardell asked. Somebody asked how much she got paid, and she dismissed it. Silence hung in the air for a moment, and Willie said, Ask her if she's met Willie Lincoln. After nobody acknowledged his words, I cleared my throat and repeated it. A good question, the guide said. Another history buff, I see? I didn't know how to answer that. Willie seemed to be stifling a laugh. Yes, Mardell told us. Another reported ghost is that of William Lincoln, the eleven-year-old son of Abraham Lincoln. Corin gave me a look, but I couldn't tell if he was irritated or impressed. Maybe both. 
she continued. He died here in this house, of typhus, in, oh, the early 1860s. My mouth started to open, and I turned to look toward Willie to say something to him. But he was gone. Of course he was gone. The tour guide thanked us for joining her this afternoon, and hoped we had an enjoyable and enlightening stay in our nation's capital. We left the White House, got on our bus, and Corin never criticized me for my behavior. That was nice, but I almost would have preferred he yell at me, just for the distraction. When I got back to our hotel room, I plugged in my iPod and got on the Internet. Sure enough, the friend I'd made on the tour was none other than William Wallace Lincoln, looking exactly as he had in the photograph that came up, the one from his obituary in 1862. My mom and stepdad had been right. The trip ended up not so boring after all. The End So there you go. Like I said, that, that was a short story. The contest entries had to be short. And if I recall, it was really short, like 2,000 words. Maybe it was 2,500 words. I'm not sure, but they... You can't really go overboard with a story of that length. And, and you know, there are writers out there that could, that could write a fantastic story in 1,000 words that could write a fantastic 500-word story. A lot of times I just feel like stories are the length that they want to be, like they're living things. And in almost every single one of these entry stories for the contest, they were too long and I had to cut them down. Except for the last one, which was the audio drama version. Even then I feel like I was like a minute over and had to speed everything up and cut out a couple of lines of dialogue. And I should look it up to find out exactly how long it was supposed to be. But I really enjoy the, the stories that you have to write for a contest. I've said it over and over and over again, but it's worth repeating. When you're writing a story for someone else, you were usually forced to write something that you wouldn't have come up with on your own. And oh, I forgot to mention the overall subject, which was... The theme was hauntings. Hauntings. The location was the White House. The, the White, White House. House. The detail was an unopened letter from 1842. An, an unopened, unopened letter, letter from 1842. 1842. A fart sound effect. And that wasn't terribly difficult. The, uh, an unopened letter from, what was it, 1842, was more of a challenge. And I think the fact that it was an unopened letter from 1842 frustrated me a little bit. If it had just been, you know, a letter that was discovered from 1842, that could be anything. And what the thing is, it doesn't matter. It didn't affect the story at all that it was unopened. Willie knew what was in it, and I, I did have to go in and figure out what was going on that year. But this was not a difficult story to write. And I remember 
my buddy Jeff and I were going to a concert in Denver. It uh, was the Red Rocks Amphitheater there. And Jeff always insists on going a day before the concert rather than going up the day of the concert. And the reason for that is because he doesn't want to be tired from driving at the concert. And so we had gone the night before we got to a, a motel and he wanted to go straight to sleep because he's not a night owl. He's a guy that wakes up at five in the morning with no alarm. It just, it just happens. And I'm not that way at all. So we got there and he went to sleep and I thought, okay, well, I'm going to do something with my free time. I spent it researching the White House and the ghosts that had been seen on the White House tours, what exactly it consisted of. And that gave me, uh, you know, the idea of what to write my story about. When I read that people would see the 11-year-old ghost of Willie Lincoln, I thought, oh, well, okay, what if my protagonist is another 11-year-old or 10-year-old in this case? That's pretty easy. And, and unfortunately, the story was written for the Horror Addicts podcast. And I would not categorize this as a horror story. There's no frightening elements at all. And the ghost is absolutely the opposite of malevolent. The ghost is Casper-esque. And the story is just so damn short. I, you could have made it scarier. You could have had a second ghost, a more malevolent ghost, a more ominous ghost or dangerous ghost or hateful ghost. And Jonathan, I think, is the main character's name. And Willie, hide from the ghost or, you know, flee from the ghost. And you still have the revelation at the end of the story that Willie is a ghost. I think that would have worked fine. I think that would have worked better, maybe than this story, but the story that I chose to tell was a fairly innocent one with, with children and with a child protagonist. And whether or not the story is any good, I'll let you make that decision. A story with no horror elements at all is not going to win the Masters of the Macabre contest. And I'm okay with that. I, I Like I said, it might have been a better story had there been a scary ghost. The difficulty is how much could you write in the short amount of space that you had. The other obvious criticism of the story would be that it was too predictable. You know, it's the Escape Pod forums people leaping over one another to be the first to say that it was predictable. And especially if you knew what the keywords had to be and that the theme was ghosts, then F you, dude. Of course it's predictable. You guys probably enjoyed the story more than a judge for the contest would have. And I'm okay with that. I think I would have suspected foul play if the story had one. There's that moment where Jonathan says... Do they do reenactments here? And it is then revealed that Willie is dressed in old-fashioned clothes. Although, maybe it doesn't reveal that. It's just, 
maybe you're just left to assume that. But that's one of those things where, you know, as a short film, this story just can't work with Willie in period garb. But having the boy acknowledge it and ask the question afterward works in a story because it hints that he was always dressed in period garb. Jonathan didn't suspect anything. In fact, what he suspected was that there were people who were paid to dress like old times so they could fit in. You know, if you go to a pioneer village, if you go to a Renaissance fair, if you go to a Spanish Inquisition torture museum, you may get people dressed like the time period that it's depicting. And I like that. That's cool. I have never been to Washington and I've never... I was about to say I've never gone on a ghost tour. I have gone on a ghost tour, but that's not what this was. Gosh, I wonder. Uh, let's say that it's, it takes place at Halloween and it is a specific White House ghost tour. And so everybody is in some costume or another, you know, except for the foreigners. And Jonathan just accepts that Willie is dressed archaically. He could even say, you know, what are you supposed to be? Uh, one of the three musketeers and is ignored. I, maybe that works better. If everybody is in costume and people are expecting to see a ghost, we'll never know unless I do decide to write a story like that. I, I like to write stories with teen or child protagonists because I've been both of those things. And here's the weird thing is, while I was editing this story for inclusion in this episode, there were a couple of moments, you know, with the, the displeasure of the boy's stepdad, where I, I remembered what that was like really, really vividly, as though no time had passed at all. And I, I'm lucky that I can just reach back in my mind and be 15 again or be 10 again. And um, I feel like the character of Corin, is that the dad's name? The stepdad's name was just my dad, who would still have been alive when I wrote this story. There are different kinds of parents, obviously. And the stepdad called his stepson Buddy, and the stepson resented that. And I, I, I'm sure my father never called me Buddy. But I do like that. I, I like the idea of a step-parent trying to be friends with the, the stepchild. And you see that in the media a lot. The stepchildren see the step-parent as an enemy. And I don't know if in real life that's what happens. I don't know. I assume that it is, because there were many, many, many times, more many's than, than I just gave, that I saw my parents as my enemies. Uh, and they didn't even have the luxury of being step-parents. I would be very interested to hear if any of you have gone on a White House tour and what that's like and ghost tours. I'd like to talk about ghost tours sometimes because I did go on one of those and we talked about it in detail on the Doonstief or on That Gets My Goat. 
And I bet there are a lot more elements from it mentioned in that podcast than I can remember today. But that's one of the great things about podcasting is when something happens, you can talk about it and it's fresh in your mind and, you know, it's right there to go back to if you ever need to have a refresher. It's, It's like a diary entry, only it's better because it's your voice, your intonation, your emphasis. And it is sure cool to have a podcast. I hope that uh, you enjoyed something about this episode. And even if you didn't, you know, just chalk it up as, okay, that's kind of quaint. I can see him trying to write something else. All right, next. Well, there you go. World's shortest modern Wish Outcast episode. And uh, I can guarantee you that the next episode will be longer. Not by design, but just because they always are. Thanks again for coming with me on this little tour. Take care. The British Outcast is presented under a Creative Commons Attribution No Derivatives 3.0 license. It means that you may download and copy the files free of charge, but they do not belong to you. Hence, you cannot charge for them or alter them for your own purposes. He's not alone, though. The music in this episode was also produced under a Creative Commons license by one Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Special thanks to Gino Morito, who created the logo. Can that be right? Gino? And I suggest you consider going to www.patreon.com forward slash Outfield to support the show if you would like to encourage more of this madness. Until next time, podcasts are forever. Goaded by the interference into a rage more than demoniacal, I withdrew my arm from her grasp and buried the axe in her brain. Let me do that way, way smaller. It's a car. Uh, I'm trying to go up a hill, and this truck behind me is not pleased that I'm going the speed limit. He's right, right, right on my tail. We're like, all I would have to do is take my foot off the gas, let alone hit the brakes, and he would hit into me. Massengill, my friend. Oh, I wasn't going the speed limit. I was going four under. What? Sexy is not the word I want, though. Um, Hot is close. (laughs) I don't know that I want to use the word slutty. I like the word. Believe me, I think it's great. But it's not considered acceptable anymore? In fact, one of Katie's first memories involved her family dressing up as the three bears, with a nearly three-year-old... With a nearly four-year-old Katiana. With a nearly forty-year-old... With a nearly four... Did I say forty? With a nearly four-year-old Katiana dressed as Baby Bear. With a yell that rang to the roof, (sighs) the killers flooded into the room. Branches of trees brushed my face as I rode, and every now and then I caught a a leaf. I caught a leaf in my 
I caught a leaf in my teeth and chewed it eagerly. And what the f I caught a leaf in my teeth and chewed it eagerly. All three of them heard a noise out in the front yard. It sounded like a cross between a person singing and a dog howling at the moon. Katie couldn't place it, but her mother was. This is fun. I love writing stuff like this. I love it, dude. Katie couldn't place what it could be, but it made her sick to her stomach. The wrongness of the sound.